Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Lindsay Rich. I'm one of the pastors here. and like to say welcome to those of you who are joining us downstairs from the traditional sanctuary and those of you joining us from home or listening to the podcast. Uh, we're so glad to be able to be together this morning. Um, so this past week, I was having a conversation with uh, two of my children, my older kids, and uh, my husband, Ryan, was kind of nearby, and we were talking about this business that is near our house, and they're actually under investigation for money laundering. And um, so my kids were getting, like, really animated about this. They're like, can you believe this? Like, this is, this is wild. And I said, do you know what money laundering is? <laughs> and they, they were like, I mean, yeah, we know what it is. And so I was like, can you tell me what it is? And so we started having this conversation about what money laundering is, right? And, um, and it was funny because they kind of got it, but they kind of had a hard time putting it into words, right? And then I, that got me starting to think about things that this is true for in our lives, right? There are often ideas or themes or words that we kind of get, that we kind of understand, but we sometimes have a hard time putting words to it or language to it to explain. Something, sometimes it's because the idea is complicated, like the idea of money laundering to a, to a kid. And sometimes it's because the thing is so big or so mysterious or wonderful that it's hard to put into words, right? Something like love. That if I were to say, how many of you have experienced love, right, we would, we would almost all say, yeah, I've, I've experienced deep love. And if I gave you a, a pen and a piece of paper and said, can you write down a definition of love, most of us would pause and be like, what am I going to write? Right, because it's familiar and it's common and we know something about it, but actually it can be hard to actually name and to explain. There's another word that I think is like this, and that's the word soul. Just the word soul, right? I, I think I've been thinking a lot about souls these days and um, thinking about what, what is a soul and, and um, you know, thinking about the nature of our souls. Uh, maybe about a month ago or so, um, I invited the women who are in my life group to bring an object to group. And I said, I want you to bring something that represents something about the state of your soul right now. And so we were going to use these as ways to talk about our souls. And I was telling this story um, to my husband, Ryan, and he looked visibly uncomfortable. <laughs> and he said, do I have to do that in my life group? <laughs> and, and I laughed, and I was just like, you know, no, no, you don't have to do that in your life group, right? And I get it, because the idea of defining a soul can be tricky, and then the idea of talking about our souls can feel kind of uncomfortable, right? And, and so what I, what I want to suggest this morning, and what I have become completely convinced of, is this, that it actually is really important for us to regularly think about our own souls. And so that's what I want us to talk about this morning and uh, what I hope to convince you of and for all of us to start thinking about our own souls uh, more regularly. So the word soul is one that we actually use kind of often in church. We use it in our songs and our hymns a lot, right? That This great old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Right? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We sing these words. We use these words when we talk about stuff. We, we might talk about lost souls or winning souls for Jesus. The word soul is used throughout the Bible like hundreds and hundreds of times in both Testaments. It's, if you read the Psalms, it is just over and over talking about my soul. And it's in the Gospels, it's in the letters, like all over. Um, I pulled a few verses just to show you some of the variety of ways that the, the word soul is used. So the first one is from uh, the Psalms. And it says from Psalm 62, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. 
And then there's a verse that comes from Matthew, and this is Jesus when he's actually talking to his disciples. And this is what he says in Matthew 16, 26. Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then Paul writes and uses the language of soul when he's writing to one of the churches. This is in 1 Thessalonians. And he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So soul is a a word that we might use a lot, but it's kind of hard to actually define it, right? If I gave you a pen and paper and said, will you write down what a soul is? You might pause and think, hmm, how would I describe that? How would I define that? There's a guy named Dallas Willard um, who is um, a a philosopher or was a philosopher. He died about 10 years ago. And um, he is maybe best known for his writings on spiritual formation, And so he spent a lot of time talking about things that are a bit ethereal, right, slippery, and would write them in ways that would make it more concrete for people to be able to think about and to consider. And he talked about the soul. And so uh, he came up with this diagram that I think is actually really helpful in defining the soul and thinking about what actually is a soul. And so I want to show this to you and um, talk about it for just a minute because this is maybe the picture of, like, of who we are, of a person, the diagram of a soul. And right at the middle, he says, is our will. And so this is our ability to choose, right, to say yes or no. That what, that's what makes us a person and not just like a thing, right? We can decide things. And then we have the mind outside of that. And so that's our thoughts, but it's also our feelings or any way that we can be conscious of things in our life. And then outside of that is our physical body, right, our actual bodies. And then outside of that is the soul. And so Dallas Willard would describe and say that the soul is actually like the ability to integrate all of these different parts into a single thing, right, into a whole um, life. And he describes it as kind of like the program in a computer, that's running behind the scenes, that, that actually is kind of always there and is um, informing the things that are happening, but you aren't always aware that it's there, and you aren't always aware of the, the influence that it has. But he would say that the, the soul is also the whole person. And so maybe the simplest way to define soul is to say that your soul is the essential you, right, that it is actually you. Uh, John Ortberg, when he talks about the soul, says that our soul, it is not our mind, and it's not our will, and it's not our body, and it's not the part of you that's left after your physical body dies. It is all of those things, and yet it's not just one of those things. It is the integrated part of all of those things, that somehow your soul is you, right? That your soul is the deepest part of you, and also that it's the whole of you, that that it's it's, um, kind of the core of who you are. And so it's it might be tricky to define and to talk about what is your soul, but I think that it is so important for us to regularly think about our own souls, right? We must think about our souls. And the reason that it's important for us to be intentional about thinking about this is because it's so easy for us to neglect thinking about our souls. So one of the things that we probably can intuitively know about ourselves is that we have an outer world and an inner world. 
And so our outer world is the thing that is visible for everyone to see. Right? Um, I went to a conference recently, and I wanted to learn more about the speakers and what they were about. And so I flipped to their bios right, and was reading about this stuff. And they were listing who they were and what their jobs were and all this stuff, right? where they live and how many kids they have. Right? This is the outer world. And when we think about ourselves, for the most part, we think about our outer world. It's, it's anything that is measurable, right? It's, it's our jobs, it's our reputations, it's our appearance. It's anything that, that we can um, keep track of and compete with each other about so that we can win, right? Because that's what we want to do. So it's this outer world, all of this stuff that's going on. And then we also have an inner world. And so this inner world is our private world. It's, it's the, the, the quiet part inside of us that's unseen or can be unknown to people. It's, um, it's our deepest thoughts. It's our hopes and our dreams. Kind of this inside part of us that is the quiet inner world. And the thing is, it can be really easy for us to neglect our inner world because our outer world is so loud and it's so demanding, right? And, and we got to mow the lawn and we got to make dinner again and the deadline keeps coming and all of this stuff and there's fun things to do and there's places to go and there's, there's life to be lived and stuff to be had. And so all of this stuff can sometimes take all of our attention. And because our inner life is quiet, it's easy for us to kind of neglect it and to not sit and to pay attention to the quietness of what's inside of us. And so because of that, sometimes what happens is that our inner life, our quiet life, can be chaotic, and it can be messy, and it can be disordered, and no one would even know if our outer life is kind of neat and has all of these things in order. Right? And so it can be easy for us to neglect our, our inner world. Um, but, but the thing is, our soul isn't measured just by what's going on on the outside. And so when we aren't paying attention to our, our souls, when we aren't taking time to look inward at the quiet life and to pay attention and to think about our souls, like sometimes the core part of who we are goes unnoticed. And this matters, right? Because, um, because we have to, right? We want to pay attention to our souls, right? And so I, let me just say, Ryan, when I was telling that story about how he was like squirming uncomfortably, I was like, I get it. I get it. I, I think that some of us really don't want to sit and to light a candle and to sit in a dimly lit room and to talk quietly about our, our thoughts or our feelings or our inner world, right? That feels uncomfortable. You're like, are you? Right. Yes. He's sitting here in the front row agreeing, right? He's just going to be like, are you also going to like hand out Birkenstocks? What are we doing? I don't understand. Like what is actually happening? And so like, I get it, right? But the reality is that we are people who have not only outer worlds, but we have these inner worlds. And our inner world and our outer world together combine to make us who we are. It is our soul. And so we don't have to light a candle, and you don't have to sit and, and bring an object and talk about your soul, but we must find a way for us to think about our souls and to be introspective, right? And the reason we need to do that is that we are responsible for the care of our own souls, right? I and only I am responsible for the care of my soul. You and only you are responsible for the care of your inner world, right? No one else can do this for us. It's up to us to actually pay attention to this stuff. There are a couple of verses that I want us to go to and, and look at this. Um, there's a, a story in the Old Testament um, 
well, the main story in the Old Testament, right, where the Israelites had been um, released from their enslavement and had, had um, wandered through the wilderness. And we're going to read these verses um, in, or this verse in Deuteronomy. And I just want to give you context for where it is. And so the Israelites are sort of on the cusp of entering into the promised land. And so Moses has just found out that he is not going to be the one to lead them into um, the promised land, but Joshua is. And so he is encouraging the Israelites, and he is reminding them of God and who he is. And he says, what other nation has a God as great as ours that draws near to us when we, when we call on him? And then this is what he says, this verse from Deuteronomy. And he says, and now take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Right? Moses is telling them, your outer world is about to change. Right? You're moving to a new zip code. Things, things are going to shift. And his encouragement to them is to keep your soul diligently. Right? Pay attention. Remember who God is and who you are. Remember the things that he has done in your life. Turn inward and pay attention to what God is doing in you and what he's leading you into. And, and Moses didn't gather like Joshua and the leaders. He didn't gather the priests and tell them this. He gathered all of the people because it was each person's job to turn and to pay attention to their soul. And so it wasn't just the leader's responsibility, right? And, and sometimes for us, I think this is something we want to pay attention to, that it is not your spouse's job to take care of your soul, and it's not your parents' job to take care of your soul, and it's not your friend's job, it's not the leadership team's job, or even Pastor Kyle and me, it's not our job to care for people's souls. We might really want to even, right? And, and we, we would love to sit with people, and, and we love to talk with people about stuff, and we want to teach, and we want to do this stuff, but even if we wanted to, we cannot care for your inner thoughts and your world. We can't take your thoughts captive for you. I would really like to do that with some people, but it doesn't actually work that way, right? We are responsible for our own inner world and for paying attention to our souls. <clears throat> and Moses was not the only one that had something to say about this. Um, Jesus taught about this. There was a time when Jesus was surrounded by people and he started teaching them uh, using stories or parables. And so I want us to read this parable together from Matthew chapter 13. And this is um, one of a better known parable, so you may have heard it before. But Jesus told them many things in parables. And he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And so this parable is often called the parable of the sower. But I, I um, rename it. I call it the parable of the soil. And that's because this parable, um, the soil is what changes, right? The, the, the sower is consistent and the seed is consistent. It's the variable thing here is the soil. And so you have these four kinds of soil. You have the hard soil where the birds come and eat the seed. And then you have the shallow soil where the things get scorched, the life gets scorched. And then you have the weedy soil where the, the um, thorns come and choke out the life. And then you have the good soil, right? And the good soil is the one that produces good life. 
And so it's interesting when we think about this, because the challenge that the people who would have been listening to Jesus would have faced and, and would have heard from this is the same challenge for us today. And that is to consider our soil, right? For us to think about our own lives and to think about what kind of soil do I have in my life, right? Is your soil good? Are you cultivating an inner life that is conducive to growth? Because the thing that is steady is Jesus, right? Jesus is the farmer, and he is steadily throwing out good things, right? Here is the kingdom, the message of the kingdom of good things, um, just consistently, consistently good, consistently good. Here is Jesus. And the thing that changes, the variable, is us, right? And so sometimes when we think of the, the parables of Jesus, we just think, oh, these are just such nice, sweet stories, right? Oh, isn't that cute? There's a farmer and he's spreading seed. And actually, this, this parable is, I mean, honestly, it's a kick in the pants. Most of the parables are. It's a, it's a bit of a wake-up call because it's saying if you don't have goodness growing in your inner life, the variable here is you, right? The, the thing that is causing there not to be goodness that's growing from the good things God is offering has to do with our soil, right? We are responsible for our soil. And so when we think about the life that grows from the kingdom and the message of the gospel, right, what are the fruits of the spirit, right? Pick one, right? Love or joy or peace or kindness, gentleness, like all of these things. What do we want growing in us? If that is not growing in you, it's not because there's been a change in the farmer and it's not because there's been a change in the seed, right? The good life grows from the good soil. And so Jesus is challenging us, right? What's your soil like? And so for us, the, the thing that we want to remember and to, to think about is like, what's my soil like? And I don't know about you, but um, I don't really like this. I don't like this teaching um, because one of the things um, that I like is to blame other people when stuff goes wrong. It's like my favorite pastime. I really like doing that. I don't like to take the responsibility when things go badly. And that's true in stuff, right? If, if things fall apart, Obviously, it wasn't my fault. Um, or in my own life, right? If my inner world feels chaotic, I don't want to think that it's because of me. I'd like to think that it has to do with all of the stuff, with all of the external things, with the outer world and the stuff that's going on. There's this myth that we all somehow believe in our culture, and that is that once our outer world gets situated, then our inner world is going to be content, right? Once we get things settled, once things are, are finished or situated or whatever, then we're going to feel some measure of peace, right? Once I get the right house in the right neighborhood, or once I get that good job, or once I can take those, the, the fun vacations and I can take the good pictures to put on Instagram, right? Then I'm going to feel content. And when we say it that way, it sounds kind of silly. And we, we inherently know, oh, well, that's not actually true, but there is a reality to this that we live into that somehow we actually do think that if we have an improvement in our outer world, that there will be an automatic upgrade of some sort in our inner world. And we think that that is what is going to bring us peace or contentment or some measure of, of stability. But that's actually not the way that our souls work. Right? We, we probably all know people that, or maybe we are people that, that this is true for, that we could see in their lives that will say, hey, 
you know, we got the nice apartment. We saved up and we, we finally bought this thing that we've always been wanting. I landed the dream job. I've got this thing going on in my life. And then you sit there and you look at the stuff and you say, it's, this isn't it, right? There's still unsettledness. There is still discontent. There is still chaos that is inside of us, even if things are right or there can be. And the opposite of that is true as well, that we know that there are people that have some measure of peace and contentment and joy and stability, um, that, you know, these fruits of the Spirit in their lives, even when they face really bad or hard or difficult things. You know, we've seen these people, and so we know that those things um, can be true. And, and in order for that to be true, you know, we have to pay attention to our souls, um, a few years ago, I went tubing on Lake Norman. I don't know if you ever go tubing or not, um, but my dad was driving the boat. And um, so I was there, and Ryan was there, and our kids were there. And you know how you get on, like, a speedboat, and you have a, a rope, and it's dragging an inner tube behind, and you can hold on to the inner tube and get dragged around and, and go on a fun ride. Well, our youngest daughter decided that she wanted to ride but she didn't want to get thrown off. <laughs> and so my dad was like, all right, you know, just hop on. This will be great. And so he starts driving, and it got a little bouncier than I think anyone thought that it would. And she was just holding on, right? And she, she was going over these waves, and she got some real air. But that girl hung on, I am telling you. And she was like, I am not getting thrown. And so she just held on and held on and held on. And then my dad finally slowed down, and she was like, I did it. This was great. And we were all cheering for her, and we were just like, well done, Macy. You know, you did great. And, and so she was real happy. And then my dad says, you know, to Ryan and me, he's like, do you guys want to ride? And we were just like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we want to ride. And so we got on the tube, and we were riding on this tube together. And we started out, and like Macy, started getting a little bumpier, right? And we were just like, we can hang on. I mean, our kid could hang on. We can hang on, you know. And my dad turned and looked at us, and he got a look in his eye like parents sometimes do when they're the ones driving the boat. Maybe you've been that parent or you've been that kid. And I knew <laughs> that, that our ride was about to change. And it did. And so my dad just guns it. And he starts flying. And we are just all over these waves. And we are bouncing. And we are slamming. And we're, like, looking at each other. And we're like, we're going to hold on. We're going to hold on. And then we hit this one wave. And there was no holding on, right? There was, there was nothing. Ryan, I'm, his wedding ring came off. It is still in the bottom of Lake Norman. I am telling you, it was a rough ride. And we survived it. We, uh, we weren't hurt or anything, actually. But, you know, it was, it was this fun, funny, awful experience <laughs> of us tubing on the lake. And when I think about that, I think life is a little bit like tubing on the lake. And sometimes you ride and you're just getting this nice ride like Macy got. And it feels a little bumpy and you're like, I can hold on. But then life sometimes comes at you hard and fast. And businesses fail. And friends betray us. And health is uncertain. And families fall apart. And life is just too bouncy. And it's too hard for us to be able to hold on. And if our souls are not centered and secure when life comes at us hard, we will not be able to hang on to that tube. And so this is part of why it is so important for us to be people 
who sit and think about our souls, who take the time to think not only about our outer life that is fun and enjoyable and all of that, right? We want to think about that. That's our life too. But we also must be people who develop some sort of practice of looking inward. And the invitation and the goodness of this is that our souls can actually be transformed, right? We actually get to experience the goodness of God in these inward places in our lives. And this is what we are talking about. When we talk about transformation, right, that's one of the core values of our church. That's what we're talking about. We're not only talking about the transformation of our souls when our bodies die to go to heaven, We are talking about this integrated life that we have now of our souls that are are aware of God ongoing, of the inner quiet parts of our lives where we are invited to experience the goodness of God even now. And that is where we see the life of God start to grow, the fruit of the Spirit be developed. And sometimes we don't know what all is happening or going on, but but um, we can develop an awareness of that, right? Sometimes people don't really even know what's driving us. Why am I making the decisions that I'm making, right? Why do I respond that way when somebody bumps up against me, right? What is it that stirs up within me? Sometimes we don't even know, right? But that's our soul at work. Our souls are, are the program behind us, right? And so when we turn inward and we say, hey, what's going on here? We can develop an attentiveness to the presence of God in our lives on an ongoing basis. Dallas Willard has um, this quote that I love that says that the most important thing in your life, it is not what you do, it's who you become. And I'm really glad that I found this in the last couple of weeks because I have been saying this to people thinking I came up with it. (laughs) And I obviously read it (laughs) from Dallas Willard, who is way smarter than me, right? But I have thought about that so much and have become so convinced of it that the most important thing in our life, it is not what we do. It is not which job we can get. It's not what house we could move into. Those are fun and good and worthwhile things. But the most important thing, the core of our life, it is not what we do, it is who we become. And that is what we take into eternity, right? We don't take our outer lives into eternity with us. We take our inner life. We take the life that the spirit is growing and wooing and drawing us to himself. That is what we take into eternity with us. And this is the heart of what we're going after. You know, whenever we discuss any topic, um, I like to try and make it um, practical, right? Especially, though, when we're talking about things like souls and how to care for our souls. Because it can feel just a bit up in the clouds, right? How do we actually do this, right? What, what is? Tell me what I can do if I want to take a step in actually noticing something. Um, and so I just... There are probably loads of ways of coming at this. I just want to offer you a couple of things, a couple of suggestions of if you wanted to take a step towards caring for your soul, of of paying attention to your inner life, what might you do? I mean, the first kind of comes under the category of noticing. So uh, there's a guy, John Ortberg, um, and he is a, a writer and a speaker, and he was a pastor for a long time, and he writes about the soul as well. He has a great book, Soul Keeping. And one of the things that he has as a practice in his own life is he sort of asks himself this question. And he says, how many of my minutes can I live aware of God? And so this is a challenge that he gives to himself. And he's like, you know, just in the everyday kind of moments, when I'm brushing my teeth or if I'm going to the grocery store or if I'm, you know, just 
fixing the, you know, the cushions on the couch or whatever, right? I'm tying my shoe. How many of those minutes could I be able to relax and to notice that God is actually with me, right? And so not, not asking some huge thing of us, but, but it is, right? But how many of our minutes could we shift our attention? Could we, like David said, always set God before me? Right? How, could we be people who take our thoughts captive in a way that we just say, oh, God is here in this moment with me? Right? It's an active thing that doesn't happen passively to us. But could we notice? And the second thing uh, that I wanted to suggest um, it comes actually from a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, um, Jason Egley. I actually don't know a lot about his theology. I've just read a lot about um, his soul care questions. And so this guy puts out a lot of really helpful questions. And so I, I have gotten these from him. And so there are three questions that I want um, to go over. And the first is actually a, a series of three, so I'm kind of cheating. But um, this one is, who am I? Who am I becoming? And do I like it? So this question of who am I, right? Am I a patient person? Am I an impatient person? Am I kind to people or am I not kind? Am I easy to live with or am I hard to live with, right? Who am I? And then who am I actually becoming? What's growing in me? What's changing? So am I becoming more patient or less patient, right? Am I becoming more joyful or less joyful? What, what am I shifting into? And do I like the changes that are happening to me? Right? Do, do, I, do I want this version of myself? And then the, the second uh, questions here are related to that in view of who I want to become. Right? Not just who am I, but where, what am I becoming? Where am I going? In, in view of who I want to become, what relationships might need to be changed in my life? Right? What positive relationships might need to be added or developed? Right? Are there ways that I'm interacting with people that I want to shift take it away or add more? Do I want to make some, some changes in my relationships in my life in light of who I want to become, in light of me caring for my own soul and my own life, my inner world? Are there things that I want to shift? And then similarly, in light of who I want to become, are there practices or habits that I want to, that I want to eliminate or that I want to add? Do I want to change things that I'm doing, right? Are there things that I can pay attention to that I want to, um, to notice and to shift or to make plans to change and to say, I want to be someone who doesn't, life just doesn't happen to me, but I am paying attention to my soul. I'm paying attention to the inner workings of what's happening, and I am trying to notice the invitation of God in these places. How is God showing up here? Who is God, um, and who is he inviting me to be in these moments? Honestly, these questions and these thoughts are at the heart of our faith. When we think about transformation, when we think about who we are as people, right, this is, this is core. And I started off by saying that we really must be people who pay attention to our own souls. I and I alone am responsible for the care of my soul. And you and you alone are responsible for the care of your soul. No one else can do it for you. We have to be the ones who pay attention and notice and say, God, what are you doing? And how are you at work? And what are you inviting me into? Right, we're about to um, enter into the Christmas season. And there's this uh, song, Oh Holy Night. And one of the lines of that reminds us that when Jesus appears, that the soul felt its worth. 
And I love that line. And there is something remarkable that happens to our souls and to us when we start to notice and when we start to look for God in the everyday moments of our lives. And when we can turn our attention sometimes away from our outer life and we can turn inward and we can notice what's actually going on in the quiet parts and what we're dreaming of and what we're hoping for and what our secret thoughts are. And when we can notice God in those spaces and when we can seek after God, when our souls can, can um, go after God in those places, there is something of our souls finding their worth, of our souls finding and meeting with God. And that is at the heart of transformation. And so today, that is my hope and my prayer for all of us, is that we would people be people who who notice and intentionally and regularly pay attention to our inner world and to our souls. And you don't have to start taking up journaling and you don't have to light candles, right? You don't have to do this any particular way, but we all must find a way to do this if we want to have the richness of the life of faith that is offered to us in following Jesus. Because that is where life to the full is really found. Not in outer life, but in the combination of the outer and the inner and our minds and our wills and our bodies, all of our, our, our life in our soul as we go after the Lord. So may that be true for all of us as we seek to, um, to feel our worth and to find our satisfaction in Jesus.